0: I've gotten suicide letters. I've gotten um, letters from parents, from kids um, who are mixed with Black and, and um, First Nations in Canada, who are very, very in, in these racist situations because of their mix, but have a whole different perspective because they fought me. They seen me fight on HBO and come out with, with dancers and now they're proud of it. Yeah, she's Black too. Oh, that's cool. So it's just it that to me is is, I know that's my purpose, just to be an example because I didn't have that and we don't have that many examples. So if I'm here and I'm able to do it, I, I'll take that versus any belts and any million dollar payday any, any day.
1: Welcome to another episode of Not Invisible, Native Peoples on the Frontlines. I'm your host, Leandra Neffin. I'm excited to announce today's guest. She is a professional boxer with six world titles in two weight classes. She is currently the WBA, IBO, and WBO super lightweight world champion and is on the road to Undisputed. And recently, she made her acting debut with a lead role in the award-winning film Catch the Fair One. Haley, welcome to our virtual couch. So, so excited for this interview. I wondered if we could just start off and have you introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know a whole lot about your career and, and, and what you do. So, could we just spend some time talking about
0: that? Sure. Thank you so much for that bio. i just like to introduce myself in our language. Munikisuk, Watasuis Mikwoninog, Nutumasi Nipmunk. Cherokee, Nutzuma's Cape Verde Islands, Natai Providence, Rhode Island. Hello and greetings, everyone. My given name is Mikunenoog, which, as you said, means many feathers and many talents. I am a member of the Sikonke Wampana'a tribe and also have lineage from the Nipmunk Nipmunk and Cherokee tribes, as well as a rich lineage from the Cape Verde Islands. It's located off the west coast of Africa. I'm your current, as you said, WBA, IBO, and WBO super lightweight world champion. I was part of the first women's fight on HBO back in 2018. And I, as you said, just made my recent acting debut and writing debut kind of thing um, for Catch the Fair one, and it was released this year. But I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's great to be able to um, speak with people and kind of let people know not just about me, but the communities and issues I represent and kind of, you know, bring um, visibility to the invisible. I'm actually currently right now in Rhode Island. I reside now in South Philadelphia, but I just wanted to take the time to recognize the people of this land. Um, in Rhode Island. So the Narragansett people are my sister tribe. I, I love my relatives, as well as my people, Wampanoag Nation, the Mashantucket Pequot, Mohegan, Shinnecock, and all uh, other outlying uh, nations. And I'm just happy to be here to share with you today. So Tabutni, thank you so much.
1: Oh, we've done, we've the Thank you. Thank you so much for for being here. So Kaylee, I want to just basically take it back, you know, take it back to the beginning. How did you get involved with boxing and what what's your story and what's your journey in terms of how you got to where you are now?
0: Well, I come from not a boxing family. Um, I come from, I'm one of five kids. I'm the baby, the young one, the last one, the the crazy one. But I have two brothers and two sisters. Uh, I I grew up in East Providence, Rhode Island. Everybody did something artistic, especially musically. So I come from a very musically inclined family. And as I mentioned, I'm from the Sikonke, Wampanoag people. But Wampanoag is a really, really big nation. We have about eight or nine different bands, clans, or different um, families. And Sikonke actually means... Black Goose, and it's more based around Seaconk, Massachusetts. Um, you know, being from the North Northeast Woodland Tribes, um, being first contact people, it's crazy because with the first contact people, we we'll always get looked at kind of not at all or not enough um, or we're not recognized. Um, so coming from that first contact and um, the history of my people on this side, you know, um, we were almost wiped out. So also being Cape Verdean and mixed Black and Native, being from around this area where I didn't grow up on a typical native style reservation it's very very different everywhere every community is different but um it was tough growing up coming from a background where I was Cape Verdean black and I'm native and I'm what you would call like almost like a first generation woman on my side on the Seekonk Wampanoag people that grew up in culture relearning say relearning and not saying Um, learning, because I know my soul, my spirit knows where we come from, but my mom, my grandmother and great grandmother weren't even allowed to say that we're Indian. You know, so this kind of perspective that I grew up in with my mom relearning and just from a child, but not really being totally surrounded by the native community. It was tough being, you know, a two spirit uh, struggle with sexual identity as a young kid, but also my mom's a Christian. So it was just, it was hella confusing um, just to try to find my way and just be you know, as a kid, we always try to find a way, but um very sporty. I played softball, basketball, and I wanted to do absolutely everything. My brother's boxing wasn't really on the agenda. I always liked watching it and I was always very sporty, but I didn't have a brother or a father or anybody that was in it. So I kind of just attracted me a little bit to it. I went through some things as a kid. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood that wasn't great. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. Um, so the outside influences um, of the neighborhood kind of got the best of me. And my mother and father divorced when I was really young and he was in and out. He was there for a little bit and then he I would see him for a couple of years. So, you know, I was the, the token native kid around around here. And, you know, people used to ask me all kinds of crazy questions. But fast forward to about um, age 11, 12, the neighborhood I was growing up in, I got taken advantage of uh, by a kid in the neighborhood that I thought I could trust. And that was kind of the tip of the iceberg for me where I was trying to find an outlet and I love sports, but being that I was around a neighborhood that there was drugs and alcohol use immediately, I went right to that route. I started smoking weed when I was 11, tried selling it. I was a terrible drug dealer. Um, And then I started drinking around age 12 um, just to kind of forget, you know, that's what people were doing and I didn't have anybody to really talk to. So that's where I turned to. Um, Around the same age, though, I got wind that one of my mom's friends, Domingo Tall Dog, was Used to be a boxer. He's a, a wampum jewelry maker. So, powwow season, I used to bug him at of stand. Every time I had, you know, time in between competition, I'd, Domingo, come on. I heard you were a boxer. Show me some things, but he kind of blew me off. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Kind of like girls don't do this kind of thing. But myself and my mom finally convinced him to kind of show me some things, came by the house, hung up a heavy bag and kind of to kind of shut me up. But I was hooked immediately. And um, my father actually came back into my life and he heard I wanted to box and he had some relatives on his side of the family um, by the name of Orlando Valves that was training his daughter in kickboxing and boxing. And the first day I walked into Peter Manfredo's gym in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, immediately, you know, Peter Manfredo's senior, he's like, oh, you don't want to do this. You know, you want to be at the beach, and whatever. But I'm the type of person that as soon as somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it, whether it's good for me or not. Um, I turned pro in 2008. And my journey as a boxer has been um, up, down and all around. If you look at my my record in the years I've been involved, almost 14 years now in September, um, it's not your typical, you know, I had a promoter and manager and a whole team. I have had to, again, fight, claw, and scratch my way up to where I am now. But I look back on not just my boxing career, where I am now, just my life in general. And it's so, I wouldn't change anything, but I've learned to kind of take those lessons and be thankful for what I've gone through and the fact that I'm still here to kind of just be a um, an example, not just for Native youth or youth in general, for especially for our elders now. You know, with everything going on, storytelling and, for example, residential school survivors, they were told that they couldn't tell their stories they just, just didn't want to tell their stories for so long that I've found healing and kind of just sharing my story, um, which is really odd because being vulnerable is so, um, it's so scary. It's terrifying. But so isn't fighting in front of 1.4 million people. Um, so I just, just kind of started following kind of my path and what was put in front of me. Um, how I began boxing was for an outlet. But what it, is, what it means to me and not just me now, fighting for all nations and every punch is a prayer. Boxing became my medicine. And, you know, no one can tell you what your medicine is. No one can tell you how to pray. I just took this creative given talent that I have kind of turned it into something energetically to pray for my people to represent, to be a voice for the voiceless and just using the platform I have to bring awareness to these things. Cause we know what goes on in native country as, as native people, but the general population doesn't. Um, so I'm here now, I might as well use my voice and it's been, um, it's been a fun journey. Um, I've had ups and downs. I've missed birthdays, holidays, weddings, deaths, funerals, graduations, but I also have been able to see the world and, hear different stories from native peoples and kind of understand why I'm even doing this, because, you know, it's great to punch people in the face and get paid for it. But once you find a purpose outside yourself of something you love to do, um, it's been, I've been blessed to do, to do that. So that's my very long-winded answer (laughs) to your question.
1: No, you've actually touched on a lot of themes there. And, you know, particularly for me, I guess as a therapist, you know, I've always had this kind of interest in terms of therapeutic boxing, you know, because I, I see boxing as a very kind of useful outlet to channel, you know, anger, rage and and, and stress relief. And it actually can be so healing for so many people. And it was um, really kind of beautiful the way that you've expressed that in terms of how boxing became your medicine, how boxing became your ceremony. And I think kind of Western... Society now is starting to kind of cotton on to that understanding in terms of how just the simple act of even punching a punching bag is a release in terms of how that that even releases those endorphins and and connects you to a space where you're able to calm those thoughts down. You know those intrusive thoughts. And so what you're kind of talking about even in terms of how that how you channeled a lot of the the emotion that you were feeling and it created a purpose for you. So in terms of your your purpose and and how you see your life journey, what do you see your purpose being or do you do you see it as kind of an open road and open to anything?
0: At this point, you know, I don't because I can't, there's no ceiling on it and I'm so diverse that I really don't see just one dimensional purpose. Um it's kind of, you know, learning on the job and if I, you know, I'm very goal oriented, but sometimes you can get caught on the big, there's just the end goal that you missed the whole entire journey. So I've branched off into so many different paths from this. I'm from boxing. Boxing has is, is been the, the the foundation and the catalyst to kind of shoot me in different directions, but it kind of began this purpose around 2015 or 14. Um, I, I had had a really bad motorcycle accident on my birthday Um, back in 2012 and it took me out of boxing for over a year. And following that accident, I actually got assaulted by a Providence police officer at work my first day back at work. And it was one of those things where, again, I was made to feel worthless. I was made to feel like I was wrong. A cop just came out of nowhere after at the end of my work shift. I was, you know, on very light duty. I had my knee brace on for my, my motorcycle accident and there was an altercation that happened brought the patrons out and he very egotistically was like, um, I was tending to one, a coworker and he told him, give her some F and air. And like, we have, we're security, we're bouncers, but we're security, we're paid licensed security. And he said the same thing. And he shoved me out of the way. Well, he shoved my coworker. It was another female out of the way. And I got up, I was like, Oh, what's going on? And he started assaulting me. He took his pepper spray point blank rage, beat me to the ground, put me in handcuffs, sprayed me again with pepper spray, picked me up with the handcuffs. He was telling me I was a a dyke of this and that and threw me in the back of his paddy wagon. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, I didn't do anything. And he told my coworker who didn't see what happened. Oh, she needs to apologize to me and I'll let her go. And I'm like, I'm not going to apologize to a man who just assaulted me. Like, what do you mean? But I was made to apologize. I had apologized to this guy for like assaulting me and that happened a few months after my accident. So I, after that, I was just, I lost it. I moved to Connecticut. There's a um sister tribe, a reservation up there. And I was with somebody there and I just went to really, really dark time. And I know that part of my purpose is to kind of be in these situations and dig myself back out by myself and kind of show that, you know, I've been there. I've been maybe not exact situation, but I always say feelings don't have, they're not prejudice. If I feel like I'm in a dark place because of what happened to me, but somebody feels like they're in a dark place because they failed a, you know, uh, an exam, that's still the same frequency. So how do you get yourself out of that? No matter what, we can compare stories and my story is not worse or better or more important than the other, but that try to change that feeling is so important. So originally I kind of saw my purpose as um, just telling my story and showing where I have been, being vulnerable. Like I'm not this superstar boxer that has things on a silver platter. I'm so much the latter. So if I can show people in myself that I can dig up and go here and maybe change the narrative, maybe I thought my future looked like this, but now it looks like I'm going to be in movies. It's kind of weird how things happen. So a friend of mine was helping me with marketing. And this is after I came back from fighting. I had a fight and I was just kind of getting back to the routine. And she's, um, she's from the Shinnecock nation. She's like, why, what do you fight for? I'm like, you know, you know why I fight? Like, you know, I fight for my people. Like, I know I like to fight and I'm good at it. And it's an art to me and it expresses it makes me feel good, and especially working out. But she's like, nah, nah, like she's trying to get it out of me. Why do you fight? Like, you know, I fight for us, man. I fight for like, not just our tribe, but like all the nations. She's like, why do you fight? I'm like, why well, fight for our nation? She's like, I. Right, so there you go. That's what you fight for. And it kind of built from there and I always want to in- include my culture and the drums and stuff, cause hearing powwow drums does, you know, does something to your soul. So I'm like, all right, so if I have to go to Germany to fight. I'll just throw on some Northern Creek. These people don't know what it is, but I do. My people know no matter where I am, I can represent. So it just kind of branched from there. And then I started getting feedback from the very same people that used to tell me I was just a black girl trying to be Indian talking about, Oh, that's our cause that's our people. Thanks for representing our people. And even though I could have wrote on that and probably been, you know, had the back and forth, the fact that they saw motivation and pride in me was like, I, I'm not even going to touch what you did say, just w- the fact that you're feeling motivated and you feel worthy and you feel important now because you see another native doing something that nobody sees us except for us. So everybody's seeing us through me. And that's just what my purpose has branched out into. And just to try to be that example of, yo, yeah, I've been there recovering alcohol, you name it, probably been through it or worse or not as bad. And just hearing different people's stories and and their trusted me to open up and I've gotten suicide letters. I've gotten um, letters from parents, from kids um, who are mixed with black and, and um, first nations in Canada who are very, very in, in these racist situations because of their mix, but have a whole different perspective because they fought me. They seen me fight on HBO and come out with, with dancers. And now they're proud of it. Yeah. She's black too. Ah, oh, that's cool. So it's just, it, that to me is, is, I know that's my purpose just to be, an example because I didn't have that and we don't have that many examples. So if I'm here and I'm able to do it, I I'll take that versus any belts and any million dollar payday any any day. Any day. So I believe that's my purpose and hopefully I'm a trailblazer for a bunch of other things, not just boxing, but for whatever we all can get into and just be proud of who the hell you are you are and not live up to what everybody else thinks I should look like, talk and my background should be like and also, a big theme for me, personal growth, is that I was so busy trying to fit in a box as a kid. I don't fit in a box. I'm I'm a little star that can't fit in a square box. It just doesn't go there. So I was so busy trying to mold myself to that box. So I just I make my own my own thing. And I think that's so important nowadays, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think your story is just really absolutely inspiring because one of the things that the themes that seem to come out of, as you were talking, was... was out of adversity, you really are demonstrating a lot of strength in, in your capabilities, you know, um resilience capabilities, you know, coming out of very difficult situations and fighting your way back. I want to just ask a question though, because you mentioned something, you know, in relation kind of when we first started this interview, you know, that your 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 mom was sort of reconnecting or, or relearning, but she was actually Christian as well. And you identified as two spirit. How did you navigate that? space in terms of finding your your balance in that
0: that was tough um that was tough with my mom um because you know very devoted uh relig- religious but more or less she's kind of in her own lane now too because i've watched her evolve from her beliefs and where she thought she needed to be and tried that i watched her try to balance and struggle to balance her beliefs spiritually and being native and a christian because where she was going was so, so religious. And then I'm like, well, we're about to go to a, like a social and like to a powwow, like this is so confusing. So it was kind of listening to what, what really resonated with me. I developed this, I can't say hatred because I really don't hate anything, but this resentment towards the church, because I felt like I couldn't be me because I felt wrong. If I felt like I wanted to hang with a certain type of person or I felt these feelings in my body, I started resenting what she believed in as far as the church, because I was told that was wrong. Whereas I have more freedom spiritually with my culture to kind of navigate through. So it was, um, it was tough. I didn't have my mom to talk to about these feelings because I was so embarrassed of them. And I knew what she, she eventually told me I was an abomination to my face. That was tough, you know, coming out to her, but I had a lot of suppressed things as a kid, um, with that, so I didn't immediately. I didn't. Oh yeah, I'm two spirit. This is great. It was like, oh man, I don't know what to do. I'm embarrassed, kind of a thing. It's not until maybe the last eight to ten years that I've really understood myself because somebody being two spirit could mean something totally different to them, but kind of the baseline of it is what I've understood from me myself personally and from the two spirit community is. You're just hundred percent comfortable in both. We all have both masculine and feminine energy. My issue, what I was learning in this space was when I brought my masculine energy to a male in a relationship, it, that was a threat. How I dressed was even worse because I have my own style. I don't dress. I don't want to be a guy, but I just have my own style. I don't. And I kind of started toying around with people's reaction when I dressed this way. Okay. Don't like that attention. And then I would dress another way. And I'm like, I feel comfortable, but I don't like your uncomfortableness. So it was a long trial and error, but always kind of reverting about what, well, how do I feel wearing this? So how do I feel acting like this? How do I feel when I have this masculine aura or this feminine aura? I can't worry about what their, how their reaction is. That's kind of what I've, what I've learned over time. And I just had to really suppress a lot. I couldn't express much to my mom. I was so afraid of getting rejected. Um, And told that what she did tell me, that I'm an abomination and I can't accept this and I won't bless this. I was at my previous relationship. I was engaged to a a woman for five years and it was tough with my mom because she was so nice and wanted to support. But she didn't want that because she was so stuck on this stigma and this religion. Eventually, she started becoming seeing that it was something that just made me happy. Not sexually. It really doesn't sexually doesn't come to my my brain first. It's how do I feel? with this person's energy. I've never really seen somebody identified as male or female. I obviously feel much more comfortable with females because when I'm in my masculine, it's not so much of a threat. It's accepted a little bit more. And sometimes on the flip side when I'm completely in feminine, it's almost like a threat. So it's like a it's a bounce back and forth. Um so it's I'm still navigating it now as well because this is like a curveball because I'm married now. But I'm married to a man now. So I'm like Is my LGBTQ card taken away here? Like, how is, how does this work? (laughs) Like, I don't know. So I'm still navigating it, but I know what helps me is knowing who exactly who I am inside, whether that's identifying culturally or sexuality wise, or how I identify or, or, or feel it's allowing having that space allowed with my partner now to be all of it and being okay and exploring, exploring it. And if it doesn't work for me now, because I'm somebody different than I was 10 years ago, it just doesn't work for me you always got to kind of turn inward and how do you feel right now how do you feel even though this person is trying to fight me this grown man guy is trying to fight me cuz he's threatened by my masculine energy and i didn't even do anything like how do you feel right now so it's um it's a learning process and um always got to turn back to yourself though it it was it was really tough, even around the neighborhood, not even just at home. It was like, you know, the jokes, the this, the, the name calling. I mean, you could probably run the gamut with name calls, the N word, the engine word, the dyke word. the like, I've gotten called everything because it just is so many different things. But I've had to grow this like really tough skin, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and I have to say, Kaylee, your um incredible reflection and, and self-awareness is just absolutely refreshing, you know, in terms of kind of even just, I guess, in a sense, um being present with what's here and now. And I and and part of me wonders. You know, was that something you learned in the boxing ring to just be present? Let all of that kind of sit on the outside and be present here in this moment, because that's a real, you know, kind of talent, you know, that a lot of people really struggle with just staying present in the moment with what you, and and kind of reflecting inward and being aware of self in that way.
0: Yeah. um, I've always wanted to remain present and I know boxing has been that one thing that you have got to be present. I don't care what's going to happen in round 10. This is round three. We have to deal with what's right in front of you right now. I have to hear my corner and react immediately. Boxing is so, um, as you said, therapeutic and so real. And it has a lot of parallels to real life because if I'm worried about that 10th round, but this is round number one and I'm not paying attention and working off what life is giving me or what my opponent's giving me, then you're going to miss something. I may be thinking one way and may not see what's right in front of me and get caught with a shot or just like life. You might get... Hit blindsided from life because you're paying attention to this one dimensional thing. So boxing is, I always refer to everything um, back to boxing. Even how long it takes me to drive somewhere, I'm like, oh, that's going to take about five rounds. Okay, like it's so it's so weird. Like I hear bells, it's like it's it's so in my psyche now. But absolutely, yeah, you have to be so present. And now also with acting, I can go over the lines and think this is how this scene's going to go. But until I'm sitting in that room with this other artist, this other actress or actor um, things could go way left. And, you know, I take improv all the time and I love it because you just got to work with what's right in front of you. And boxing is a perfect example.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, um, how, i guess the film um that that we we discussed catch the fair one i'm actually looking forward to watching this um i know for for our listeners uh, i know it's available on amazon prime and google play i watched the trailer for it uh earlier today and it it's wow it just kind of blew my mind it's intense and i guess my question about that is, is how how did you get involved with that project and what drew you to that how did you then start the transition from boxer to to actress and, and, and getting involved in film and film writing.
0: It came it came to me actually. Um again, I come from a very artistic background, always was thrown into like little church plays doing little things, or I me and my mom have this joke still now to this day. I had this character that I used to do when she came home from work. I was always some kind of little expressive Virgo, but oddly enough the power of manifestation really works because I was getting this kind of like acting bug maybe between 2016, 17 I was like, ah, I just want to get into acting. I you know, it looks, I feel like this is something I can do. And even my my coach, I call him my pop now. He's told me from a young age, like 14, 15, you're gonna end up in movies one day. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And he's like, no, nah, boxing is just, you know, your catalyst, you're talented. I'm like, okay, whatever. But I was sitting out in my porch one day and I was like, you know, if acting is meant for me, it'll find me. Maybe I have to, you know have a cameo in a commercial or something. I just didn't know where to start. I'm like, all right, I got to get like, I got just like boxing. and start from the ground up. A week to that day, um, Joseph Kubota Vladika slid up in my Instagram DM and the rest is history kind of that's, it's no like magical thing. Um, but I really put it out to the universe. And I was like, if it's meant for me, it will find me. And I let it go. I didn't even think about it. And then I got this inbox and you can imagine being a professional athlete. I get oh I'm this director I got this I've gotten so dozens upon dozens about people having this crazy project that never manifested into anything but for whatever reason Joseph checked out he said he had this project that he was working on it was about he was just learning about missing and murdered indigenous women just like the general population he started digging a little bit because um, he had a feature film out already called Monosucios. Sucios and um, it's about you know it's about an important Aspect of the whole drug world that people forget about, like the people who live in these countries that actually go through that and really have—they're the biggest at risk. You know what I mean? So he just had this idea of a story about this woman who loses somebody to her, along the lines of like the Highway of 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 Tears in in Canada. And he just wanted to get to know me, and I was like, all right, well. And he saw that I was using my platform to try to bring awareness to things like missing and Indigenous women. So we chatted up a little bit, and um he told me he wanted to drive up to Rhode Island. He was in New York. And we just sat down and talked. And it's funny because the time he approached me in my life, I had just lost my brother to brain cancer. So I was like in a weird grieving state. And um, he just interviewed me, talked to me about my brother, wanted to know my background. Um, And from there... He just really, I guess, saw something that I didn't see. And he asked me to come on to this project very early on as a creative uh, collaborator as far as he knew. And I love him for this. He knew that this was a very important story to tell. He just knew it wasn't his story to tell. And that's so important because we need to tell our stories, you know, this story is not a uh, any way, shape, or form an answer to this missing and murdered Indigenous people epidemic. It's just our artistic interpretation. He's a very talented filmmaker, so he wanted to use his knowledge and his talent to tell the story. And um, it was kind of like a two-year collaboration where we, I was able to build the character, Kaylee. We took a lot of aspects out of my real life, and he wanted to involve it in it. And I was open to it um, because I just really wanted to tell the story right and just open people's eyes with something like a thriller in a genre film, you know, you bring people in with that thriller, people, you know, boxing is always a a great thing or fighting is always a great thing to kind of draw the people in in for a first time actor. I know boxing, you know, I can do that with my eyes closed. So it was just, we went through like, I don't know, a dozen different scripts, but down to like, even the colors represented. um, There's so many little gems in there from the villain's wife to how there's like so many different themes, but we wanted to make sure it wasn't, we don't want to beat you over the head with activism. Not that that's bad, but we were trying to do so many things subtly. We didn't want to, um, you know, put the sexualization out in that in your face because you know what that means and you know what happens in these scenes but we want to kind of suggest not tell so that's really how that happened and he really explained from his perspective as a director what the harder things are as an as a performer as an artist which was not many words you have to try to tell people what you're thinking or how this character thinks and how what they're feeling not with words with your demeanor your how you hold yourself so he really broke that down and we built this character we built all the whole world that that she lives in and what happens and um we had to make it as he quotes um unpredictable yet inevitable hence the ending um so I won't ruin it for you but um we wanted to make sure those themes of sorrow loss kind of that memory um, was in this, this film so we can start people's heads thinking and just bring awareness to this and ask those questions. So that's, that's how that happened. It wasn't, um, you know, I have a manager and agent and they got me this job. I just kind of, it came to me and, um, it was very, very cathartic. It was tough at times, but just like in my boxing, I was, I was willing and, and I know I was able to do it. Um, so I was going to tell a story to the best of my ability by any means necessary um cuz I knew it needed to be tell- told so I was like all right if I'm going to be this vessel get beat me up guys I got this so um it was an honor and it, it's you know um there's a part of that character Kaylee I'm sure in everybody just like with um my story I'm sure there's a relatable aspects of my real life story so it's it's very intense it's very triggering so warning but it was you know The best thing about this film is I haven't had to, well, we haven't had to explain anything to anyone. Everybody comes up with these great questions, which means that, I, I mean, I'm happy with the job that we did. There's going to be people that hated it, loved it. But as long as the general message gets out there, I'm happy with it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing in terms of how much of that story was, you know, close to the knuckle for you. Absolutely inspiring, Kaylee. What's what's next for you? What's next in your your journey and your life story?
0: So I am set up to do the final and the one hundred and forty, the pound tournament the super lightweight tournament road to undisputed um unfortunately we wanted to have the fight march april but because i'm in the position that i'm in where i am a a unified champion and i have the ability to take care of myself first um which is something i should have done years ago i had to kind of Put training on hold a bit just to get things, you know, I'm like a 57 Chevy. My dashboard was lit up like a Christmas tree. I have to get some things tuned up. So um, that fight is definitely still in the, on on the agenda for this year. I know uh, Chantel Cameron was just scheduled for May to keep busy, which I respect her. We have so much respect between one another. I love these good fights. We've been wanting our, our fight I don't know, for like the past three years, to be honest with you. Um, so that's definitely going to happen. When? I don't know. I just, like I said, I got to take care of a few more health things and um, so I can, you know, get this, this is the engine revving and getting going. So um, that's definitely on the horizon. I mean, come September, I'll be in the pro game for 14 years. I didn't give my, I gave myself when I first started, I didn't want to be in boxing past 36, 37-ish, and I'm 35 now. Um, And I've accomplished so much, way more than I thought, um, way more than a lot of people have thought. And to be 35, to be a unified champion in a weight class, I probably should have been fighting in my whole career right now. And to be, you know, amongst one of the most irrelevant fighters of boxing, women's boxing right now is just a test in itself. So I got a few more fights in me. And um, right now I'm just balancing uh, acting with with boxing. I have representation now. I plan on sticking and Putting my all into to acting in in, in this film network. Um, you know, I might get into producing or whatever, but I actually loved it. I mean, there's so many parallels to the business of boxing and film industry. So I'm going to definitely be um, hopping on more projects. Me and Joseph were joking around about writing some more stuff. I love death. as like my brother from another now. So I'm just really, really busy. I've been auditioning for everything and anything kind of just like boxing, working those muscles. And when I hang the gloves up, I will totally be still involved in boxing, whether it's helping my husband manage fighters, I do commentating and I love it. Uh, I also help train fighters. One of our fighters just won her first world title in the UK. We were there two weeks ago, Ebony Bridges. So it's so exciting to still be involved in boxing. So... Wherever the creator sees fit to put me, I don't know, maybe I'll become a veterinarian one day. Who knows? But that's what's going on with me right now.
1: I don't doubt if you ever wanted to put your mind to being a veterinarian that you would accomplish that. Oh, Kaylee, if you're ever in the UK, you have to let me know so I can come and watch your one of your fights or whoever you're, you're sponsoring or managing. Finally, one last question, because we kind of talked about that theme around um, our youth coming up and seeing people who look like them now. Now, you know, what, I guess, advice or words of wisdom would you give to our young Black Indigenous youth that are coming up who may be struggling with some of the same things you're you're struggling with or who may even want to follow in your footsteps and become boxers themselves? What advice would you give them?
0: First of all, man, being that age right now in the world we live in, God bless you, because I couldn't, I, it's so much pressure and there's so much everybody's so mean but so sensitive at the same time so first of all you know every day you wake up just you know pat yourself on the back and there is a space for us um no matter what you want to do there is a place there is a space so if you feel out of place don't think it's you it might just be the space that you're in right now always don't go back to you because that's what I used to do oh it's my fault obviously we all make mistakes there's things that yes are your fault but Sometimes you might have to take a little step back and really see the people you surround yourself with or the space you're in, because there is a place for everybody and there's a place for black indigenous people, I'm telling you, especially in sports, especially for female black indigenous or black or whatever minority in this boxing space. You can trust me, you can do it. A loss, especially those that are boxing right now. Boxing has gained this, you know, this undefeated thing. If you are a young male or female in boxing right now, a loss is not the end of the world. What I can tell you right now is take the lessons learned from this loss or the win, too, because a lot of people get caught up in this. I'm better than everybody. Just know that. Just like I know there's somebody watching this and I'm going to fight Kaylee Reese one day. There's somebody watching you and saying they're going to fight you one day. So always Keep an open mind no matter what it is boxing or anything, never put a ceiling on your knowledge because you can learn something from everybody. you can either learn what to do or what not to do from people. Just keep it keep it going and oh and and truck up the mistakes. don't be so hard on yourself and that's so easier said than done because I am a very OCD Virgo that thinks everything is my fault. so have something that makes you come alive. if you want to be the general manager at Burger King and that is that puts a fire in your belly. I don't care if people laugh at you and you get this and that. If that what makes you happy, do that. Do that if you're passionate about something. Make sure it makes you happy. Don't do things for other people. Do it for you. That's it. Wow, Kaylee.
1: I feel incredibly, incredibly inspired. I feel like I want to go out and take up boxing and, and be like, Kaylee, amazing. Your absolute straightforwardness, your complete self-awareness and introspection is just incredibly, jarringly refreshing. And I love this interview so much. And I just, I cannot wait for our listeners to, to hear all those pearls and gifts of knowledge that you were dropping today. de Weedahar, thank you so much for joining us today, Kaylee.
0: Katabachas, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. This has been Not Invisible, Native Peoples
1: on the Front Lines, a House on Fire production. To learn more about Kaylee, follow her on Instagram at KO underscore Indian Boxer. This episode is produced by Victor Mako, Spirit Buffalo, and JB Hart. Our editor is Abby Franz. Our theme song is Another Side by Wild Whispers, produced by Ben Reno, Eli Lev, and Megan Lee. This season of Not Invisible is produced with support from Earth Rising Foundation, our Patreon producers Kathy Doerr and Rina Krishnan, and our friends at Buy Me A Coffee. We'd like to give a special shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. You too can become a patron by finding us at Red House Series on Patreon or buy us a coffee. Links on our website at redhouseseries.com. Wangi de ha. I thank you all.